0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. You are here with This Week in Caribbean Art. My name is Melissa Hunter Davis, founder of Sugarcane Magazine. And I am here with the best hostesses in the world, starting with
1: Susie. Good morning, everyone. Suzanne Fredericks here, Susie One percent Presents. And Maria. Hi, I'm Mayan Ortiz, a creator writer here in Miami,
2: currently at the Paris Heart Museum of Miami.
0: Maria, you traveled last week. What?
2: Yes, I went to Arco in Madrid.
0: <gasps>
2: Tell us about your trip. So um, so first of all, um, I have to say that it was a great trip. <laughs> and that uh, perhaps one of the, the most interesting things that I saw uh, were actually, there's a beautiful show by Sayon in Reina Sofia, which uh-huh. is like a, it's, it's a very, it's a big deal because, you know, Madrid, Spain, was the big colonizer of you know, Latin America, but also of course of Cuba, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic. And, um, and the fact that, you know, this is like african woman, you know, speaking of showing the culture of the at uh, like their biggest uh, contemporary and modern museum was like astonishing. And the show is just beautiful. It's created by a, a Cuban curator, and it's just fantastic. Also, there, they had this really neat, um, they rehanged their Latin American collection and um, they actually ended up putting on a lot of work that dealt with a lot of indigenous groups. And it was very challenging. And again, you know, like for me as somebody that, that is now, that, you know, Puerto Rico used to be a Puerto Rican and Puerto Rico used to be a Spanish colony to see that type of work critiquing the colonization that the Spanish um, did long ago. Um, it was very, very, very significant. Also, there was a, there's a gallery called Formato Comodo and they had a show by a Dominican artist named inge Leonardo. His work looks at traditional um, art, like craft practices in the Dominican Republic and creates these very beautiful sculptures They kind of take on, yeah, the local traditional craft with some of the modern and contemporary rhetoric. And and that show was really um, strong. And he also had some works at the fair. Then um, I was there as part of a program called Open Studio, which is, uh, they do it alongside with Arco, or one of those kind of Arco programs. And we got the chance there to visit a couple of artist studios. And we ended up going to a particular building with bunch of studios where um, there was a show that would combine Cuban artists with local Madrid artists. So there was the way by Alessandra Rechea um, and others. There was another kind of neat show of Caribbean representation. And in general, you know, given the fact that Arte Vida, ha- it's happening in, in Cuba, in Havana, there's been a big migration of Cuban artists into Madrid. So that have moved their studios. Uh, like Alessandra de is now in Madrid and also Carlo Garaycoa and others so certainly there was a Caribbean presence mostly of the um, the Spanish-speaking Caribbean and just really the Dominican Republic and, and and um and Cuba so there was really not not much of Puerto Rico at all and um and I think that's really most that I can recall right now. But it was it was good to see that, you know, the, certain conversations are happening there. Of course, there could be more. And of course, I always feel like, you know, in Miami, we're kind of leading the conversation. We are leading the conversation. So at least it was great that, um, yeah, to, to see that they're, they're at least engaged. I'll put it that way.
0: That's really exciting um i would love to know more about the the move from from cuba to spain for cuban artists is that an easy move for them is there is it an environment that you know helps them you know with their their career and still keep ties to home what is the connection
1: i think i mean just as maria spoke about that i hadn't really considered that dynamic happening, but I think in light of the recent kind of oppression around artistic freedom in Cuba has probably opened up avenues outside of Cuba to be able to support um, the idea of freedom. Um, and also probably the historical relationship, I'm guessing here, but I, I think of it as a kind of form of reparations <laughs> that they should be creating markets around kind of their, their colonial history. And some, some kind of reparations. I always have that feeling when this dynamic happens, this kind of support. But I mean, Maria was there. That's just my, my assumptions. I mean, I that- think,
2: yeah, I think you're a your target here. The historical relationship is similar to, you know, the Jamaicans with the, the London, you know? Exactly. Um, it's like the way that you go to. Um, and also on, on one end, and then, you know, migration from Spanish people to the Caribbean, Didn't end after colonization either. So you would have people that their grandmother was from Catalan, Catalonia. You know, so they could get uh, papers to go back to Spain. So there's this also that aspect to it. Um, Yeah. But I'll say that it is. uh, You know, it's interesting to think about when I was there, thinking of the kind because we're in Miami. I'm in Miami, which has like this big Cuban migration. So it's interesting to think about like Havana, Cuba and Madrid are these three cities that are flowing really um, a lot of Cuban artistic creation um so the, and and you know I mentioned Alessandro Arreche a couple of times because he was here he had his studio here for a couple of years yes uh so you know it's interesting how Miami and Madrid are actually are constantly exchanging creative flows um so that's why probably I was invited to go, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, but but you know, in general, it's really interesting to see. And I was talking to a friend uh, recently about this, like, you know, now we're in this moment of reckoning and institutions are being asked to diversify mm-hmm. and to represent their communities. And that also is happening there. You know, I don't think it is a coincidence that Belkisayon was like their main show or one of their main shows, you know, because they're responding to a shifting, demographic and population so it's, it's also nice to kind of think um you know a global dialogue or or dialogues that are happening in the west on, on on the issues that we care so much about I Love it, and then you know that we talked about the london show so you see like all this different uh exhibitions that are happening here in the us but also in europe
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Belkis Aeon show, I mean, that must... I would long to see something like that. So would I. Oh, was it amazing? It's beautiful. Is there a, a catalogue? Not that, that There's a book. There is a book. There's there a is. book. Um. Uh, there is a book.
2: I didn't get it because it was too big, and I yeah. already had a bunch of books. But there's, <laughs> there's a book. And, I mean, the works were... Um, I mean, I cannot even... They were just beautiful. And you could see... I don't know as a woman as a woman of color like you could see like her passion and her intensity in the work mm-hmm. and I always think that you know it's, it must be so hard <laughs> like if if, if if there's times in my year that I'm like oh my god it's so hard to be a woman sometimes being a full in a room full of men like I cannot even imagine that 20 30 years ago <laughs> so and, and in the art context so I'm always very moved by by that. Mm-hmm.
0: So is ARCO a yearly fair or is
2: it? ARCO is a yearly fair, yes. It happens every February and for the longest time, and I think today is still like um, perhaps it was known as the Latin American Fair. So, uh, and they would dedicate it to a country every year. This year, it wasn't dedicated to a country per se. Um, and, they were, and and of course, there was Latin American representation, you know, artists from like, there was this really nice artist from Argentina, for example, that was um, looking more at like the indigenous and also kind of like minority art communities in Argentina. Um, artists from Peru, Mexico, but yeah, it happens once a year, yeah.
0: I love it. So we should keep that on our radar. Um, Make sure that you, you know, pencil us into your calendar and watch out for the next dates. Um, If you have an interest in um, art from Latin America, from Spanish-speaking Caribbean, clearly this is a place that you really need to go and make it a a point to to travel to, especially if all goes well within these next (laughs) couple of weeks and we are not in war forever. Uh, Gosh, that's a a subject for another podcast. but before we move on to our interview there is a grant opportunity Susie that we need to know about
1: right yes Alice Yard in um, Trinidad um, a really fantastic arts space uh, run by artists it has partnered with the Caribbean Digital um, in New York so they're offering an artist residency a virtual artist residency Um, for 2022. Details are on their website, Um, it looks really good, it it includes curatorial mentorship by Christopher Cozier and engagement with critics and um, curators as well as a commissioning of writing around the artist's work, so it really creates a lot of support and some networking and it's virtual, so um, it is open to the whole of the Caribbean and I believe the diaspora, yes it is. And um, that closes with the applications. I can't see it here, but it is um, CaribbeanDigitalNYC.net for anyone interested.
0: And I always tell artists, you know, take advantage of all of these calls for funding, fellowships, Um, you never know where your feet will land and how these opportunities can help elevate your career. Exactly. And so you share something with us that I thought was incredible. So, and like I mentioned to you, when I think we're not even gonna use that, but what I mentioned to you is that in the United States, we've had these conversations, um, probably about like 10, 15 years ago about gardens that African-Americans kept um, during slavery as a way to sustain themselves when they weren't given enough to Mm -hmm. eat from um, the plantation owners. So you've, brought this really fantastic story from The Guardian. Um, Can you share more about
1: it? Um, Sure, it's about an exhibition. I mean, what I find is, you know, the smaller institutions and spaces that put on some, sometimes some really fantastic exhibitions don't have the budgets for the kind of publicity they need to get around it. So I'm really glad this was covered. This is at the Garden Museum, which is a small museum in South London and it's called Sewing Roots. Um, and it looks at how the Caribbean diaspora, the, how they've brought c- horticultural heritage into the idea of British gardening. I mean, there's a culture over there of uh, what they call allotments. So if you live in particular areas, you can you can apply to have a piece of land which you farm. It's a very kind of British thing. I mean, I think so. That's, when I was there, I always thought it was a really strange but interesting thing because it's freezing over there and how, how they garden and farm in the winter I don't know and so sowing <coughs> in, the, in the spring etc but the show itself tells stories of like 15 different people um and their experience into this kind of cultural exchange so they have brought um so, so one like just wanted to grow food to show his children how, where food comes from and then the community support, support really grew and now they have like educational, a much larger space that they farm and there's a lot of educational workshops around it. Um, another woman that sounded really interesting, she, she was interested in the medicinal you know, and she has grown a very, very, like a foundational Caribbean knowledge in medicinal plants in her space. So I just think it's really wonderful that these things are brought to light because so often these things just are considered normal or not so important and they get, they kind of slip away, you know? Um, And it's interesting that this exhibition has come because there was one recently in July at the Museum of London, which is a bigger museum. Um, and it was called Community Power and Place, and it was about more more focused on. It was a, it was still about the Caribbean diaspora in the UK, but it was more about entrepreneurship, and that was all about food, bringing food in for the Caribbean and all these various stories there. So I think it's really interesting that this is this is in the public kind of discourse, and um, if I could go to this show, I would I would be over there like a shot. So anyone in London. Who wants to get more into the idea of food as power and culture should be checking out this exhibition. You
0: know, I think that's really exciting and I think that will be exciting for the U.S. as well. Uh, One of the things that's really interesting about the United, about being in the United States, especially in the South, is all of the fruits and herbs that were brought over from the Caribbean here. So there is, I call them security bushes um, in my community. And sometimes when we go for a walk, whenever we see Sarah Sea kind of taking over one, you
1: mm-hmm. know,
3: we
0: immediately like, grab some of those
3: vines. <laughs> so,
0: <clears throat> because that's a great tea, you know, when you're ill to have. I um, mean, so many things come from the Caribbean
2: that you see grown here.
0: So that's really exciting. I would love to see that here in the States. That would be excellent. Yeah.
2: I wanted to add there, uh, now that you mentioned that Melissa, you know, I've learned to know about crops in other islands living here in Miami. So the the Aki tree, right? That is like Jamaican, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. something that I never grew up with in Puerto Rico, but then somebody told me, it was like, oh, that's a Jamaican, oh, oh, okay. So that's also been really neat to kind of learn. And then I, there was a lizard that apparently came from DR. you know, the, the ones that have like the the round tail. <laughs> Yes, uh, we have a guest that he might know about them. But um, <laughs> anyway,
0: I think it, it must come from the island of Hispaniola, mm-hmm. right? Because I, of all Haitians I know say, "Oh, that's a Haitian um, lizard." Uh, but I was told they came over on on barges. <sighs> you initially saw them in Fort Lauderdale. I used to see them there for years, and I was like, "Oh, thank God, let them stay right here, Fort Lauderdale." But no now everybody has them. (laughs) So, yeah, welcome to Miami. (laughs) They look like like little alligators to me. Bonnie Ramirez was born in 1996 in Tanada Salcedo, Dominican Republic. He currently lives and works in New Jersey. Born in a small town in the Dominican Republic, Bonnie Ramirez retains a connection to his Dominican heritage through his art, incorporating elements of the Caribbean with his own distinctive details a combination of painting and drawing, Ramirez adheres life-size paper figures onto painted wood panels. His subjects are bold yet strange, often appearing mysteriously oversized or contorted. Bonnie Ramirez adheres to black and brown drawn figures onto painted wood panels, creating mixed medium portraits that portray contemporary Caribbean life and the underlying European colonist history that remains in the psyches of individuals. Bonnie,
2: thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me as well.
2: Oh, hi, Bonnie. Uh, I guess I wanted to start the conversation. Um, You've been having a great year. Uh, You were just recently here in Miami at the Fountainhead Residency. Perhaps, what have you been up to?
3: Oh, no, sure. So I just finished the Fountainhead Residency. I started uh, during the month of February. Um, until the end of of that month. And it was a really, uh, really great experience. Um, In particular, for me just being in Miami, uh, mainly, the interesting thing is that uh, since I came to this country in 2009, I haven't been back to my country. So meaning that I really haven't created like any works in a tropical setting, basically. So just being in Miami and being able to create work there, basically in the world, that my figures are setting, are set in, you know, was very inspiring, you know, definitely Miami slash Florida is like the closest thing to the Caribbean uh, we have in the United States. So it was very inspiring just to be there and, you know, being surrounded by the nature and a lot of things that, you know, you know, reminded you of the island. Um, The residency is located uh, around Little Haiti. Um, So it was so great just to see the community and just like, I know, how strong the Caribbean ties are, especially in that section of Miami and just Miami in general. Um, And it was very refreshing and like, almost like reminded me of how much I miss the American Republic. But, you know, it was a great experience just being a fountainhead, being in Miami and just being too able to create there.
2: And I have to say, you know, full disclosure, uh, we at Pan we purchased a work from Body for our collection. And then yes. also, um, um, your work also went to the ICA in Miami, right?
3: Yes, 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 yes. As well as now the Dela Cruz Collection, that's also in Miami as well.
2: Oh, fantastic! Congratulations! to yes. see. It's thank been, you so much. Been pretty, pretty hot. <laughs> thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Uh, thank you! You know, I was I just came back from Madrid, from Arco, and we were talking before about like you know like. Like basically, you know, all these colonies, like the Spanish-speaking colonies, like the DR Puerto Rico Cuba, and they're attributed mm-hmm. to Spain. And in your yes. work, your figures very much deal with that type of uh, dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you speak more
3: about like how, how you treat that in your work? Mm-hmm. So definitely, I, uh, my work talks a lot about like colonization in general, um, throughout the Caribbean, throughout like the different islands in the Caribbean. Um, A specific way that I like to tackle that a lot of times beyond, you know, this uh, almost like literal representations of, you know, colonization. For example, um, my first debut show at Terry Goldberg Gallery, uh, the gallery is divided into two floors. Um, The first floor was more about like just like a general celebration and exploration of Caribbean life and culture. And then the lower level, I treated more as like this survey focusing on the colonial history of the Caribbean in general, uh, where I, you know, did five paintings almost like narrating chronologically the different steps and parts of how the Caribbean became colonized. Um, And that's sort of like a, was a more literal example of that. Um, Another thing that I do like to tackle that in a way, um, and a lot of my paintings I use um, wallpapers, And I purposely go for these wallpapers that are like almost like these French, um, Spanish, very, you know, visibly colonial style wallpaper. A lot of them with these like, you know, these luxurious representations of what, you know, the European life is. And I use them for dresses mainly for a lot of the figures to have sort of like this almost like... um, it's almost like colonizing the colonizer in a way of like, I'm taking something that you have and putting it in us, just how you took a lot from us in the Caribbean and use it in your own culture. Um, And that's also one, one, that's one of the ways through the wallpapers that I use. Um, There are some examples that I have uh, of using these wallpapers and how I, you know, manage these wallpapers. And then, you know, going more further into like now, you know, in more today's time, I do talk a lot about, you know, how a lot of these effects from colonization still affect us in the Caribbean, you know, whether it's the way we think or the way we talk, we still have a lot of these things that were just brought up by the colonizer and that we unfortunately still practice a lot of times um, and that we feel like we need to unlearn that um, at some point or that we should start to unlearn a lot of those things. And I do, again, I guess, talk a lot about the almost like European gaze when it comes to, or just like the, almost like how the Caribbean is perceived in the world, especially by European countries or like the United States and stuff. Um, You know, a lot of times we're seen as these like loud, you know, animals, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's just just part of our culture a lot of times, you know, like I, I remember when I first moved to the U.S., I and I came to school, you know, there was always this thing of like, uh, oh, the Dominicans, here they come, or like, you know, it's like- Party "Oh, people. the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, the bilinguals, that's what we used to be called. Um, and, and it's crazy because the town where I um, went to school, Pertham, New Jersey, most of the population is Dominican slash, you know, Puerto Rican. Um, and it was just weird just like having going to school in here oh here comes the bilinguals and basically the sign was quote unquote that we are loud um or just like we are quote unquote uncivilized you know but and I feel like a lot of people don't understand the Caribbean immigrant experience when you come to the U.S. and I think that's something that I focus a lot into the work um when it comes to almost like you know teaching a lot of the history and where we come from so that people sort of have a better understanding of, of Our traditions in the Caribbean of what we're about, so that it's easier to understand us once we're in a setting that is not exactly our own. Um, And that's the other part of my work where I really need to, I really take upon the responsibility to really inform people about the Caribbean, you know, that we're not just, you know, resorts and beaches, that we are people with culture and color. And that our, you know, culture and traditions really need to be respected and be uplifted in the art world where I'm at, but also like in the world in general. You know, we have such a great, you know, you have such a great culture and different things that you sort of want to share with people, but it can be misunderstood because they understand it or it can be like, you know, taken out of context. And I think that's where uh, my work focuses more on that symbolism that we have in the Caribbean instead of just like straight up, you know, here's my family in the living room kind of painting, which is fine. I'm not yeah. saying it's not, but I personally like to go more with like different symbols and motifs that take you back to the island and explain more of that complexity that we have as individuals.
2: And do you think that that um, approach is also like, is your approach to the Caribbean a transnational approach? Like it's something that other people get, you know, see from the DR. And um, like it expands beyond the Spanish-speaking Caribbean. That's my question. Because I oh, think no,
3: that... No. I... Yes, yes, oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think one of the things that I noticed even more when I moved to the United States is that, you know, just the whole Caribbean, we have so many things in common that we really can't speak about it because we have different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like to treat my work as sort of like this visual language to connect all the islands in the caribbean and like us through colonization you know we're so small but you know we speak all these different languages for example take you know the island that i'm from you know we're literally one island and we just speak two different languages you know and that's sort of one of the barriers that we have into talking about other things that we have in common same from like you know oh the rest of the caribbean like the non-spanish-speaking caribbean you know that we can have that conversation about the things that we have in common. But I think with my work, I do like to have that visual conversation that, you know, whether it's like through the trees or the fruits or the activities that my paintings are doing, you know, somebody from Jamaica can relate to it as much as somebody from Cuba and et cetera. So I do Mm -hmm. like to have like almost like visual language to bring back the, you know, the Caribbean together, you know, to make sure that we support each other as we should. And just like see how beautiful we are, are in common, you know. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, another um, aspect about your work that um, that is, you know, is very labor intensive. But also, you mm-hmm. are self taught, right? This, you started yes. working and and just creating, and mm-hmm. very much researching and learning how to make art away from. Um, kind of the, the, the mainstream, let's call it mainstream weight right now yes. of contemporary art where you have to go to the BFA, then the MFA and all mm-hmm. that. But can, can you speak a little about that? Because I do think that that uh, portrays also just, just different ways that artists create today, especially artists from different backgrounds that yes, have yes. different type of access to different resources. But yes, yes. they're artists and they can make it in the world Mm
3: -hmm. absolutely um so i think you know um just like my story is sort of like this almost like you know immigrant stories that a lot of us go through you know i came to this country with just my mother and my little brother and as as many immigrants you know just coming to this country is not easy to um you know have a stable base especially like the beginning years so i as as much as well as I did in high school, for example, because I did eighth grade and I did high school in this country. Um, You know, I was not able to attend college, Um, just, you know, out of the financial things, even though I did good at school and everything, it was just not something that was capable of for me and my family, which is definitely the stories of a lot of immigrants. Um, In my case, you know, I just kept uh, painting. I just kept making work. I used to work construction like six, six days a week. Um, all the way from when I graduated high school in 2014 to even early 2020, that was the only job I ever had. Um, and I basically used to paint on Sundays, which was my only day off. So basically, it really didn't have a life but much. Um, but again, it was just the drive that I really, really genuinely love creating art. I feel like I really had something to say. And it was clear to me that it was not only difficult as a, you know, recent immigrant in the United States but also as a self-taught artist you know my options were really limited and I was aware of that you know um the one thing that I like to tell people is that I was more confident in my work than in myself as a person to be honest you know I felt that the work was good enough and I had something to say that that was going to take me somewhere even if me as a person didn't have that almost like that power to keep moving forward but I really feel like the work really spoke for itself um and also I think you know later in that period of time was where I really thought okay I really need to push myself even more I and that's where so like my work evolved a bit more and got more serious um and also just thinking about you know yes I am aware that it's going to be more difficult but it's not impossible you know uh But again, it was sort of like that back and forth a lot of like mental exhaustion when it came to, you know, being positive about the future. Um, Just because I hadn't seen any examples of people in my situation that had made it, quote unquote, in the art world. And I know it's going to be like a one of a kind experience. But, you know, I just kept, you know, moving forward, you know, even being in New Jersey, there's not really like an art scene here. Um, so that was like also very limiting. And the fact that I was working six days a week, that was also very limiting. And the labor intensiveness that construction also brings, that was also uh, another limitation that I had. But again, it just kept making work and just like, you know, my way of getting my work out there was basically social media. You know, obviously as a self-taught artist, I didn't have anybody that I would push for my work. Again, my work out there, just, you know, social media, um, posting stuff. I used to do a lot of open calls, which I never got. Um, but mainly just social media, posting the work there. And then that's where the pandemic happened basically. And then a lot of galleries started doing these like online exhibitions. And that's where like this gallery reached out to me on Instagram basically. And they were like, oh, is anything on your feed available? Of course, you know, I'm like, sure. I've never sold anything. Um, And then, you know, they gave me the opportunity of like an online show in the middle of the pandemic. And then that went really well. And then we started working together. And then in November of 2020, that's where I had like my debut physical solo show. Um, it opened on uh, November 7th, which was the day where the elections were announced. now. So it was a very hectic day, especially in the morning when everything in New York, especially was boarded up and, you know, we were ready for a riot basically. But you know, that was the day of my opening um, and I really enjoyed it. A lot of people came, it did really well. And then sort of from there, then other galleries started to reach out and, you know, other group shows and like fairs and stuff started to follow. So it's been great since. <laughs> I, and That's I, you a know, great again, story. Go, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And again, you know, I was confident enough that I felt like I was g- going to achieve this. I just didn't expect it to be when I was 26, you know.
1: My personal <laughs>
3: goal, I remember, I told myself, by 40, I have to be exhibiting in a gallery. <laughs> <laughs> um Because again, I was again, you know, was trying to be realistic. I was like, you know, a little self to artist. I just got to this country. Uh, it's not really gonna make much, um but you know, it just sort of worked in my favor. Uh, everything else. So I'm very happy with how things are going.
2: um I think that's a great story because for, uh, many levels, but also mm-hmm. because for a lot of artists of color, Caribbean artists. Um, and not only artists, just professionals in the art world, we mm-hmm. might not know how to get to certain places. Yes. And because there's very little examples, right? And now, thing yes, yes, God, right? So, mm-hmm. but, but, but how to create your own path and knowing the mm-hmm. ability that you can create your own path. And then executed, it, I think that's just very admirable, and I think that's the story of probably of everybody in this
3: in this podcast in this conversation thank you, thank you, thank right you. now.
2: Thank you, thank you. Um, that we just you know in the beginning to I felt figure it out.
3: like definitely definitely in the beginning I felt like like I was like kind of shy of telling this story, you know. But it's like you said, you know, like we don't really have examples, and I think just like by me or anybody in this panel, you know, talking about our experience of how we got to where we are. And beating the odds, basically, you know, it's very inspiring for like the future generations or somebody that's thinking of doing the same thing, you know.
2: Of course, and of course, you also have a great talent um, oh, in yeah. artistry, yeah. yeah. so that, that helps. A long that way, helps. Yes. yes.
3: <laughs> I
1: would thank also you, say you. I think the you know the challenges. I mean, what's inspiring about the story? And I, I didn't know that. I knew you were self taught. I didn't realize it was such a recent rise. You know, so congratulations yeah. <laughs> on that. Thank you I so think much. that speaks. To the power of social media and mm-hmm. um, the access it gives to island people, even though you're based in the U.S., I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's very difficult here to be seen by yeah. the people that need to see you. Um, mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you, um, what have what's been the most seminal moment? I mean, I'm asking you in context to maybe artists listening, mm-hmm. and you know, it, you know, we can say this is a very unusual story, etc. But you know. Artists in Jamaica, certainly, which is where I'm based, you know, there's a real, um, a real kind of lack of attention to IG, which is where I find so much of what I do, I have access to, and I learn so much as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, is that is that one of the tools that helped you learn to speak about the work, like have a language around your work? And, um, what is it you would advise younger artists to do in context of like social media and being seen? Do you tag people, etc. cetera? The yeah. etiquette so, perhaps.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so for me, you know, and that's something that I always promote like the use of social media and how, because again, it's what helped me. You know, mm-hmm. I do see it as an extension of my work, you know, just how I use shows and everything. I do see social media as a way of not only sharing my work, because that was like the main thing that I was doing, just like, you know, just putting my work out there, just wanting to share what I had to say, because since I, I wasn't getting an exhibition, any exhibitions or anything, you know, just um, putting my work on social media was the only way that I could get my message out there. Um, and in terms of tips, you know, for me, I sort of, or how things have changed also, you know, in terms of the art world, social media situation, You know, I do think to have almost like specifically to Instagram, for example, have your profile be almost like your portfolio, for example, you know, so have like, I personally like to post every single work that I make, because that's sort Mm -hmm. of, I'm also big on like wanting people to see the work. So like every post that I make is very, I don't want to say professional, but it's very, you know, just the work, the information and where is it going to be exhibited if it's going to be exhibited. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, just having that presentation of the, the portfolio because when people just come across your work, you know, that's what they see the presentation of your um portfolio. So, making sure that your you know, your name or your like at it's like something that always goes back to your name, like have a name that's there that's going to stick with people, um, in through social media or wherever that when they see you in person, like oh, this is Bonnie Ramirez because that's like the name that's there. And I think just using tags, like, a lot of times helps. Mm. And just, like, interacting with a lot of people, I think, really helps a lot. Um, One thing that I do like to do just in general, um, like, whenever one of my friends has, like, a show, you know, I, you know, post, like, on the stories, I post them. And, you know, I tag the gallery and, like, you know, them. And that can, you know, help them have a bigger platform. Like, you are my followers and then they see the followers. So, meaning that as artists, we can also help each other through just promoting you know each other and our work now that you have to but I just personally do it because I like to do that um but yeah I think so um, definitely Instagram is where like a lot of you know curators uh collectors mainly a lot of collectors and a lot of galleries are reaching out to artists and I mm-hmm. think now even artists that sort of probably don't need a gallery in these days and they just kind of sell their work through the collectors that they have on Instagram and stuff um, and then they can go to bigger things so I think definitely social media has changed the way that you know people can be seen again it helped it helped me because it was because of social media essentially I had this bigger platform to you know show my work and stuff um, so I was promoted when it comes to like getting your you know, work out there like I know some artists are like shy or they don't want to you know you know, share too much, but, you know, just, I, I just tell them, this is an extension of your work, you know, um, not only again, for these connections and the opportunities that come, but I'm personally very big on people being able to experience the work also because of the meaning and my sort of mission that I have, but it's, so it's also like that, you know, I really want people just to experience the work, even if they're not in New York or they could be in other country, but they still get to see, it, they get to see the work, even if it's online. So that's mm-hmm. an, another big part, just having people appreciate the work itself. Um, but again, it can lead to a lot of opportunities. Like myself, an example, and I'm sure a, a lot of artists really flourished in the, you know, pandemic because people were paying more attention to social media and what people were
1: doing. Thank you. Yeah,
2: no. Yeah, I think that's also, as like from a curator standpoint. Um, mm-hmm i remember uh or sometimes we speak with i speak with colleagues oh my god like the instrument art the instagram artists as almost like yeah a, yeah a yeah. negative thing because you're kind of looking at followers and how many followers they have etc but mm-hmm. putting that aside i think also what like what you just said like instagram also or social media let's just say social media gives an opportunity for people that might be overlooked because they're mm-hmm. not following kind of the quote-unquote mainstream way of becoming an artist because they're not based in a particular city because they mm-hmm. not go to a particular mfa program and and but that doesn't mean that you, you know they're not they're great artists that still mm-hmm. emerge or that exist outside of those of those yeah. mainstream um avenues so that's very important i think that for all of us that are doing work that pr- tries to give disability to people that have been visible, it is important to step out outside of our comfort zones to to keep looking for great work because it's out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure if any of my colleagues have any more questions. Um, if not, I'll say thank you again, Bonnie, for joining us this morning. And also, where right now, aside from Instagram, where can we see your work? Like, because you're showing right right yeah. now. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah. So right now I have a group show currently on view at Calderon gallery is this survey of Dominican artists curated by Tiffany Alfonseca? It's currently on view in New York at uh, Calderon gallery. Um, then, uh, in a few weeks, uh, March, uh, 19th, I have an opening in Montreal. Um, it's a group show of artists, um, uh, curated by Danny Baez. It's uh, Bradley or new gallery and, uh, montreal canada um and then i have other projects coming up as well so for now okay. those are like the worries on also today today yes. uh, outsider our fair opens and i yeah. have which is a, a fair basically for self-taught artists or um or like outsider artists and it's currently and i have a piece on view there as part of a show that focuses on self-taught artists it's on view until march 6th um so i have a piece there that's opening today
0: And Bonnie, where can we find you on Instagram?
3: Uh, you can follow me at Bonnie Ramirez. That's B-O-N-Y-R-A-M-I-R-E-Z, two Zs at the end, Bonnie Ramirez. And that's where you can find me.
0: <laughs> Bonnie, thank you for joining us. I'm really, really pleased to have you on. I've been a thank great you so much. Of your work for a long time. I think all of us have. Thank so you, I'm thank
3: really you. I appreciate it. I love it. Thank you, thank you. And then also you can see the work, if you're in Miami, I have a piece currently on the ICA as well as the uh, De La Cruz collection. And the both buildings are next to each other so you can kind of see both um, at the same
1: time. Wonderful, thank you so much. Lovely to meet you and hear your story. Thank
3: you so much to the three of you. Thank you so much for, you know, also giving Caribbean artists this platform that we have. You know, I feel like our voices are not heard very often. So thank you so much, the three of you, for doing this amazing platform for us and, you know, expanding our voices
1: even more. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for for being here. Before we go, of course, you are listening to This Week in Caribbean Art. Um, I'm Melissa Hunter-Davis, the founder of Sugarcane Magazine. It is a pleasure to be on this platform with such incredible women. And it's Women's History Month. Take some time to go out and study women who are doing fantastic things in the arts before we go Susie, where can we find you on social media
1: social media i'm at Susie wong presents on ig maria where can we find you you can find
2: me in ig contemporary chica
0: and you can find sugarcane magazine at sugarcane magazine on instagram before you go some housekeeping be sure to download. Be sure to give us four, 5, twenty, seventeen thousand 17,000 stars, however many stars that you're supposed to give us. Give us those stars and subscribe. We wanna get those numbers up, 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 up. Thank you for joining us. If you are looking for art um, from the African diaspora, you can look to Sugarcane Magazine. You can visit us at sugarcanemag.com, get a subscription, view the website, join us on, join us on social media and we will see you next week and listen to you next week. Goodbye, everyone.
1: Bye. Bye, bye. bye.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you.